Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Ask a Therapist with me, Sarah Reese. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about low mood, depression and what we can do to improve our moods. For any new listeners, though, I'm going to quickly introduce myself because I don't think I've done that for a while. And I know I've got a few more new listeners, which is fantastic. So I'm Sarah. I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist and I have a background in mental health nursing. I worked for the NHS for many years, about 15, so I'm kind of showing my age, and in lots of different roles. So I worked in hospital settings, forensic settings. I worked as a community mental health nurse, which I think I absolutely adored for about six years I did that. And then I worked in a crisis team and then moved on to an early onset psychosis team with teenagers before moving into a management role. I managed the primary care mental health team in South Manchester. Management wasn't really for me. That wasn't my thing. So I quickly changed and started work as a CBT therapist. I trained as a CBT therapist as part of the IAPT initiative. So IAPT stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. So that was an initiative set up a number of years ago now by the government so that more people had access to psychological therapies like cognitive behavioural therapy. I'd previously done a degree in psychosocial interventions, which gave me a really good overview of different types of psychological therapies. So I was interested in lots of different therapeutic approaches, but CBT really stood out as a way to help people feel better and help them teach people to know the tools to be the best version of themselves. Since that, I've trained in EMDR and compassion-focused therapy. EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing, and that is for the treatment of trauma. But it's a very effective treatment, although unfortunately not many people have heard about it. I did an episode a couple of episodes ago with Dr. Michael Patterson, who trained me in EMDR. That's a really useful episode. And on my website, if you look under other therapeutic techniques, that will tell you there bit more about EMDR and compassion focused therapy, which was developed by Professor Paul Gilbert for people who struggle with self-criticism and shame, because we found that people, lots of people get better with cognitive behavioral therapy. But Paul Gilbert looked into the research why some people don't. And what he found is that people who don't fully benefit from CBT often have a very critical inner voice. And if we can soften that and help people's internal world be more supportive of themselves, then we're more resilient, we have better mental health, and we can care for ourselves in a much better way. I'm accredited with the BABCP, and I run a private practice in Wilmslow, Cheshire, three days a week. And then on the other days, I deliver online business coaching for therapists, starting out or developing the private practice. I'm part of running a Facebook group called CBT in Private Practice. That's run for other therapists. And I deliver clinical supervision for therapists as well, which is helping therapists review and make the best of their clinical work. I've also created the CBT journal, which is available for download and purchase on my website. It's a downloadable tool that comes with a Facebook group and full coaching emails and hopefully You heard it here first, a course coming very soon. So what is the CBT journal? It's for people who want to learn about CBT, 
and how journaling can be re a really helpful part of this. You might be interested in having therapy or getting ready for a course of therapy, or it's just for people who want to understand their minds better and learn how to manage their minds, reduce stress, reduce worry and overwhelm, and just be the best versions of themselves. By combining CBT with journaling, we can develop more understanding of our minds and the patterns of our minds. And with this awareness, we then have more choice because how we think impacts how we feel and what we do and creates the world we live in. So now back to task. In this episode, I'm going to provide an overview of low mood and depression and what CBT for depression is. And I'm going to look at finishing with what we can do next, how you can use CBT and journaling to improve your mood and get started with CBT. So some techniques that you can put in place. Focusing on feeling low and depression can make us feel a little down. So this is a trigger warning for this episode. So you can just fast forward now to another 10 minutes because initially I'm going to be talking about what is low mood, what is depression, but then I'm going to move on to what you can do to improve your mood. So while I'm going to be talking about depression and low mood, I'm also going to talk about how we can change things around. So I want it to be a really positive episode because we all struggle with low mood and it's useful to have the skills to know what to do. I've been prompted to focus on low mood and depression for this episode and in my latest couple of blogs because almost everybody in my clinic is coming in and including me and they've been saying they feel quite low and flat. It's an interesting time. It's been a really long winter and here in the UK we've been spent most of it in lockdown. So as I record this, it is March 2021. You've got to think about the context of what we're in at the moment. It's unusual times. So what does this mean? It means that a lot of things we would normally do to improve our mood are just out of bounds and we are more isolated than ever before. And this is a huge problem for us because ultimately we are a really social species so connecting with others is a big part of our lives and of our well-being. So given the circumstances, it makes sense to me that the rates of depression and low mood would have increased. The normal prevalence for depression is about eight people out of 100 at any one time is suffering with depression. I did a little Google search and got this from the Mind website. I don't know where they got the figures from. Because I, I wonder if this is just the people we know about and the ones that report it to the GP. My sense is I think that more people could be struggling with low mood and depression, but maybe even they're not aware that they could have help. The first thing and the most important thing to know about depression is that it is treatable. You will get better and there are lots of things you can do to improve your mood. When is low mood depression? We can all feel low from time to time, but depression is when we have low mood, but for a long period of time, over a month of experiencing a number of symptoms of depression and it's impacting our lives and our functioning. I'm going to go through some of the symptoms of depression in a minute. Sometimes it can be really difficult to know if you have depression, which is why I wrote my last blog, Do I Have Depression? I'll pop a link in the show notes. The reason it can be difficult to know if we are depressed is that it can creep up on us and feeling low can almost become our normal. Also, one of the key symptoms of depression is that we feel hopeless and helpless. So there's a tendency to just think this is the way it is and nothing will help. 
which is why it's really important to see if this episode starts ringing bells for you, if you think that you might be struggling with depression, do go and seek help. And the first point of call is your GP. Book an appointment, go and see them. The rates of mental health and depression are really, really high. So your GP will be working with this and know what to do and be able to give you some really good advice. And it's a good starting point for support. I've done some research for this episode and I've found some quotes online from people that are struggling with depression. So I'm going to read those out. I think it helps to give a sense of what having depression can feel like for people. And many of these, I did a search online for quotes of depression and the Mind website was really helpful as well. The NHS website is also really helpful. If you think you're struggling with depression, there's so many resources on there. So some of the quotes that people reported online, it starts with sadness, then I feel myself shutting down, becoming less capable of coping. Eventually, I just feel numb and empty. It's like having a dark cloud following me around. Everything is negative. I feel like I've lost myself and I'll never be me again. I just don't enjoy anything anymore. Everything is pointless. It felt like I was really tired all the time. I had no energy or emotion about anything. That's tough to listen to, isn't it? Some of the signs and symptoms to look out for for depression are persistent sadness and negativity, tearful and generally emotional, having no motivation or interest in things, not getting any enjoyment out of life, neglecting friends, families or hobbies, wanting to hide away and disengage from people, feeling hopeless or helpless or both, feeling anxious and worried, having negative thoughts and ruminating, lacking flexibility of thinking. So that means being very black and white and quite fixed in your thinking, having low self-esteem or feeling worthless, seeing yourself, others and the world and the future as in a negative light, feeling irritable, and intolerant of others, an overwhelming sense of despair, having suicidal thoughts or of harming yourself. If you are experiencing this, this is a a mental health crisis and you need to see your GP urgently. Depression can also show up in your body. So there's some physical symptoms that people experience as well. Feeling slowed down, changes in weight or appetite, unexplained aches and pains, A real lack of energy and motivation and just can't be bothered. And disturbed sleep. For example, finding it hard to fall to sleep at night or waking up really early in the morning. Now for treatment, there are lots out there. The NICE guidelines recommend a combination of psychological therapy and medication. Your GP would be the first point to call for this help. They have a range of antidepressants that can be really, really helpful for people. I know lots of people are quite wary about taking antidepressants and there can be a stigma around it, but do go to your GP and have a chat. So first, I want to talk about why we get depression. So I see a few kind of examples in my clinic. Often it's about loss and, oh my gosh, did we lose in 2020? You know, lots of people lost careers, health, lost people around them, lost hobbies and interests, friendships. There was a lot of loss. So I see people come to my clinic with depression and they've experienced a loss of some sort, relationships, homes, jobs. And then I see people where 
they have what I call a collapse of the drive system, where they are go, 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 high achieving, don't stop, work, 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 and something gives, something just stops. And I think if we don't take care of ourselves and get a really good work-life balance, then what happens is our our mind (laughs) takes over and kind of stops us and slows us down. And then when I was training in compassion focused therapy, um, Paul Gilbert talks about a um, an evolutionary reason for depression. And I never forget this story really perfect. So bear with me, but I think you'll get the idea. So if a bear is hunting for salmon in a river, now bears don't have that ability to think or analyze. They're not being reflective. They don't ruminate. They're just animals. A bear will go to a river and hunt for salmon. And if there is no salmon in the river, you've got to have something that stops the bear from hunting. That's kind of the collapse of the drive system. The bear doesn't think, what's the point? I'm a rubbish hunter. I'm just no good at this fishing lark. I hate myself. Bear doesn't think like that, but it has a feeling of, of lowness. The bear goes to a cave, sleeps, wakes up, is hungry, goes to fish and salmon, enters another river, and there's salmon there, and all is good in the world. The problem with us human beings is that if we were hunting for salmon in the river and there was no salmon, we would engage our brains. So I would think, I'm a rubbish fisher, I can't do this. I'd go back to my cave, I would go to sleep, I'd wake up, still hate myself and be frustrated with the situation, I'd ruminate over what I did wrong. And that can be the maintaining factor of depression, that how we think makes us amazing as human beings, but it complicates our emotional system. So it can maintain anxieties, mental health problems and depression. So that negative thinking plays a big part in depression. So CBT for depression. So I'm going to give you a bit of an overview. I mean, everybody's situation is very different. Everybody comes to therapy and we work in a very individualized way. So therapy is tailored to that person. But somebody came to see me with depression. We would spend the first few sessions doing what's called an assessment. And it's a clinical term that basically means getting a good overview of what has brought that person for therapy. I'd also encourage people if they haven't already to see their GP and to have a full physical examination and have their bloods done. So most of the people that come and see me have been to see their GP. They might have tried some medication or the GP might have recommended they come for some CBT. And I think it's such an important first step because there are a number of biological reasons that can cause depression, such as key vitamins like B12. Now, this isn't my area of speciality at all, but I can sometimes I can get a sense now of when the depression just doesn't fit with what's going on for the person. So I would maybe suggest for some people, if they haven't already, going to have their bloods done and just making sure that everything physically is okay. And then we would get an overview of triggering events. So what happened just before you got depressed, what past experiences the person's had, We'd look at current symptoms because everybody's experience of depression is very different. I'd be really interested in the ways people are coping currently, what helps them, what their strengths are in managing their mood, and also where the emotion is for the person. 
So what are the areas that cause them emotional pain? So you see that in therapy when somebody kind of starts to fill up or you can see them emotionally struggle. And we're kind of taught as therapists to go follow the emotion because that can take us to triggering events and emotional events that need to be processed at some point in therapy. We would then look at what the key problems are and symptoms and list them out. So we have a clear picture of what the person needs to tackle because everybody's experience of depression is different. For example, for some people, they can't sleep. And that, and if you can just improve sleep slightly, it transforms everything else. But for somebody else, it might be another aspect, another symptom that they're really struggling with. So we kind of list out all the symptoms they're experiencing and kind of prioritise which need to be worked on. So the goals of therapy would then be explored and I'd help people get more specific by setting SMART goals. So SMART goals are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely. So somebody might say to me, my goal is to feel happier. But we need to know what feeling happier looks like. What would you be doing? How would you know if you were happier? How would you know if you're getting more enjoyment from things? So kind of what they call operationalized goals make them really specific so that we know when we've met them. We'd also measure where your mood is now using an assessment tool. And if you go to the NHS website and search for depression, there is a self-assessment scale on the NHS website so you can rate your mood. I will put a link to that in the show notes because I think it's a useful tool. And then we would measure your mood during the course of therapy so that improvements can be measured. Because of the negative outlook we can have when we are low, it's difficult to see improvements. So when we measure our mood, it's much clearer. In the next stage of CBT, we would do what's called education, psychoeducation. It's an important part of therapy, especially in CBT. So I help people understand how their minds work, more about depression. And often with depression, it's helping people see that we live with really tricky brains and that they are not broken, that given what they've been through, it's understandable. Given how our minds work, it's understandable. The key principles of CBT are that our thoughts impact how we feel, what we do, and can then maintain low mood. So when we feel low, we often do less and then feel guilty and self-critical or hopeless. And this can exacerbate low mood and contributes towards a downward spiral. So one of the first things that we start to do in CBT for depression is helping people to do more. We don't focus at this point too much on talking because when you are low or depressed, you see everything really negatively. It's like wearing negative glasses. You see yourself negatively, the world negatively, other people and your future. So talking things through from this perspective just isn't really helpful. What we need to do is help you to lift your mood first. And that's another reason why we measure it. We try and help people lift their mood because a lot of the negative thinking falls away at this point when our mood improves. So it's an important thing to remember that when we are low in our mood, it distorts our thinking and you are thinking more negatively. You can't think your way out of depression. You just think more into it. So initially, people are encouraged to increase what they do, but in certain areas. So the research is very clear that it's not do more housework or chores or work more. We need to do 
activities that give us a sense of achievement, things that we are putting off, things that we enjoy, things that are antidepressant for us, and that's different for everybody. And I think increasing movement has to be in there as well, because I think moving our body is just a big aspect of our mood, even if it's just going for short walks. And connection, I think, is really important as well. Connection with other people. As I mentioned before, we're a social species. It's hugely important. This is so important that I've created a mood builder for clients so they can focus specifically on improving their mood by increasing the right type of activities. It talks through the principles of low mood and depression. And then there's a tracker for you to plan your activities and rate your mood every day because what we write down gets done. It also gives you clues as to what activities work best for you. So this is called in CBT behavioral activation. It's a well-researched technique used in depression that we know improves people's mood. A common trap is people spending more time in bed because they're feeling tired and this gives them more time with their negative thoughts sinking deeper into low mood. You're never going to think your way out of depression. You're just going to think yourself deeper into it. The tricky thing with depression is that normally when we feel unwell, we wait until we feel better to do things. In depression, this just does not work. We have to do things and then the feelings follow. We will later begin to feel better. So initially, when you start doing more enjoyable activities, it's going to be really tough. It's like doing things, but being weighed down. But when we do the things that lift our mood, give us a sense of achievement and enjoyment, the feelings will follow. You might feel hopeless, like nothing is going to change, which is why having therapy or someone to support you in this process is so important. Keeping a journal and recording how you feel can be a really useful tool as you can see improvements that you might otherwise dismiss because of this negative thinking and the distortion on your thinking that low mood and depression creates. Another aspect to not ignore is making sure the basics are in place. The gut-brain link, I think, is the future of psychology. Nutrition is an area that I'm really interested in. It's really benefited me taking more care of my nutrition. And I've seen people really benefit from taking a holistic approach to mental health. Over 90% of serotonin, which is the feel-good chemical we need for our mood, is made in our guts. That's amazing, isn't it? You would think it's in your mind. It's actually made in your stomach, in your gut, not our brain. So poor gut health means poor mental health. Now, I'm not an expert in this area. So I will often recommend people have a nutritional consultation and review, as there can be so much that can be improved with our diet. For example, increasing your daily hydration is really important. Taking a probiotic is hugely beneficial for our gut health and therefore our mental health. And again, daily movement, you can't ignore that. At some point in therapy, I'd encourage people to keep a mood diary as in-depth as they can. Rating their mood out of 10 with 10 being the best and 1 being not good at all. And noting down what they are doing at the time that they record their mood. When we have low mood, we might look back over the previous week with our distorted negative thinking and think it was rubbish all week. I was 1 out of 10 all week. But when you record it, 
as often as you can, you see the fluctuations. It's like getting a fingerprint of how your depression is. The more information, the better. We then look at when your mood is at its lowest and put in some changes and coping strategies and then look at when your mood is a bit better and you do more of this. We would look at the nourishing and depleting activities for people. What are the things that nourish your mood and what depletes your mood? Another important aspect that I see time and time again when people do mood diaries is that when they spend time with other people, it improves their mood. Connections with others is a really important aspect of having a good mood. It balances out our thinking and lifts our mood. And it's often avoided because people think I'm no fun, I'm boring, I'm not going to enjoy it. But you don't just look back and think negatively about your past. You also predict negatively going forward as well. So you're more likely to think I'm not going to go out and see that friend or go for a walk with that friend because I won't enjoy myself. But actually, when you record how your mood is before, during and after, you find that it has really lifted your mood and people feel much better. This evidence and information about how our mood works is really, really important because you get clues about how you can improve your mood. As I mentioned at the start, I'm also trained in compassion-focused therapy, which was developed by Professor Paul Gilbert for people who are self-critical or struggling with shame. Self-criticism plays a significant role in depression and really maintains a lot of the symptoms. Shifting your internal voice to be more supportive is one of the most powerful things you can do for your well-being and emotional resilience. If you broke your arm, you'd have to care and nurture for it and have the right balance of rest and movement. Our mental health is much the same. But so often I hear people beating themselves up because they are feeling low and just not feeling their best. You wouldn't beat yourself up if you broke your arm and you wouldn't make your arm better by beating yourself up. And so you can't eat your mood better. So a lot of the initial work in cognitive behavioural therapy is around people doing more activities, but the right type of activities for them to lift the mood. And then we work on challenging negative thinking because improving the activities lifts your mood and a lot of the negative thinking falls away. And then we will start to work on the C in CBT, cognitive, which just means thoughts. So our thoughts impact how we feel, what we do and create the worlds we live in. We have thousands, possibly millions of thoughts every day. Often we don't choose them. They are automatic or triggered by something we see or do or watch on TV. The bad news is that a lot of these automatic thoughts are unfair, biased and negative. We often feel bad without even realising we're doing it. But the good news is with practice, we can learn to be more balanced with our thinking. We can catch our automatic thoughts. In order to catch your automatic thoughts, you need to start paying attention to what is going through your mind. I believe we can all benefit from this kind of reflection as it helps us become more aware of what's going on inside our heads. When we become more aware of our minds, we can become more aware of our thoughts. And this awareness gives us more control over what we do with those thoughts. And this is one of the very reasons why I created the CBT journal to help people get more awareness of their minds. A useful tool we then teach people in CBT is a thought record. It's designed to get you into the habit of paying attention to your thoughts and then working at changing them. 
Although thought records might seem like a lot of work in the beginning, over time the process becomes automatic and you won't have to use the thought records anymore because you can balance out your thinking in your own mind. So how to use thought record? Thought records can be used on your own to help monitor and change your thoughts. A few times a week, note down the negative thought you've had and consider then the evidence for and against it. Sometimes this is called taking the thought to court. Examining thoughts this way helps you reach a more balanced perspective that is likely to be better for your well-being. With practice, you will eventually become more analytical of your thoughts, more cognitively flexible, so have more flexibility in your thinking style, and this is going to make you feel an awful lot better. An important principle to remember is that thoughts are not facts. I've just mentioned the CBT journal which can really help you get more awareness of your mind. When you are depressed, your mind is very negative. So journaling from this perspective can be really, really tough. I think it's useful to rate your mood, notice what you're doing, thinking about the activities that you're doing. But just writing from a place of low mood and depression, it can pull you more into a downward spiral. So journaling for depression has a little bit more of a twist. It's important to remember that when we are depressed, our thinking is negative. So we need to think less or get more flexible with our thinking. So here are a few journaling prompts that I've posted recently on Instagram. So you can head over there and and have a look. It's on the grid. And these prompts are for lifting our mood. So if you're thinking about journaling, you think it'll be good to get more awareness of your mind, but you want to use journaling to lift your mood, use these prompts. Think about one thing you've achieved today, five things that you are grateful for, one thing that you've enjoyed today. Think about your happiest memory. Think about, I smile when? Just saying that makes me smile. Five things I like about myself, five things that lift my mood. And when you use those journaling prompts, you could do it very automatically but you could spend time thinking about your answers and noticing where you feel it in your body. Our emotions are a little bit like muscles. If you don't use them, you lose them. And with depression, it's about toning up that feeling good. So you have to practice feeling positive emotions. So journaling and using gratitude and these prompts is a really useful way of getting a bit more flexibility in your thinking and really toning up the feeling good again. The last thing I'm going to mention about kind of what we can do for our our depression is probably one of the most important things, although they're all important, aren't they? It's just when we use them for each person. But I've not mentioned yet mindfulness. Mindfulness has a wealth of research behind it in reducing relapse rates for depression. One of the key ways it works is by decentering us from our thoughts. So I'm just going to mention what mindfulness is. So mindfulness is meditation and there's lots of resources out there. If you Google meditation, mindfulness, I've done a blog on mindfulness and a couple of the apps I really recommend are Headspace on available on your iPhone and Android or the Calm app. There's lots of resources out there to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is the practice of being in the moment. So often our thoughts are way ahead of us in the future or we're thinking about what we should have done and the past. We're not often just in this moment and practicing the ability to just be in this moment, to have a thought and not engage with it and come back to this moment, 
decenters you from your thinking and has been proven to reduce relapse rates in depression. Because when we are depressed, we have a stream of negative thoughts and over time they improve and they get better and we move away from them. But if something else negative happens in our life, we can go down that negative thinking path a little bit quicker because we've been down there before. So the negative thoughts tumble into one another a lot quicker. If somebody practices mindfulness, instead of thinking thoughts are facts, they will notice I'm starting to have negative thoughts again. I'm starting, And then they will notice that they're having depression again. And you can pull yourself away from it. So you see negative thinking more of a symptom of depression rather than an integral part of you. And that decentering from thoughts is really, really important. Mindfulness is like taking your mind to the gym. It has so many benefits. One really useful um, researcher to look at is Professor Mark Williams. He was based in Bangor in North Wales. That's where he did a lot of his research. And then he moved down to Oxford University to the Mindfulness Centre down there. I think he's retired now, but there's a lot of his work on YouTube and that's really useful to look at. So I hope you found this episode really informative and helpful and not too depressing. I hope at the end of it that you have some really practical, positive strategies to move you forward. So if you are feeling low, down in the dumps, or if you think you're struggling with depression, you've got some tools to kind of move yourself forward. What to do next? You can go to my website and I have done a couple of blogs. One's coming out in a couple of weeks, but I've just done one on do I have depression? And if you go into that blog, you can download the Mood Builder and I will try, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So I think that's a really useful resource, getting the right level of activity up. So download the Mood Builder. You can also go to my website and download the Building Emotional Resilience Guide and come over to Instagram and follow me on there. And every week I'm trying to put on weekly journaling prompts to get people journaling in the most useful way possible. So I look forward to seeing you next month. Take care.